You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, Reflecting for Fruit. Reflecting for Fruit. As you all know, we are in sort of the middle of our vision casting series called A Plentiful Harvest. And um, in these vision casting series, we often go back to the vision of our church to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and also remind us of our mission as a church to reach, revolve, and to reflect. Our purpose in all of this is to see, to see practical steps, practical, practical ways, biblical ways in which we can produce more fruit in our mission endeavors, in, in our reach, revolve, reflect. And, and in this case, our, our series is called A Plentiful Harvest. Our desire is, again, to produce uh, much fruit in these endeavors. And if you recall from last week, I mentioned that the series is really coming from Jesus' own words when in the Gospel of Matthew, he was ministering to people, he was healing people, proclaiming the Gospel, it says, and uh, at the end of it all, he says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The idea here is that the kingdom of God is ready for harvest. That that means that there are lives ready to be changed by the gospel. People won for the kingdom, souls to be saved, God's love and glory to be displayed to those who are lost and even those who are in the church. And our hope is uh, that we don't find ourselves lacking in laborers. That we don't find ourselves in the same, in the same sentiment as, as what Christ had mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, that, that the laborers are few in our church. My hope is that we would be willing to go and, and be the laborers that Christ is talking about, reaching the lost and, and, and cultivating lives that revolve around and reflecting his love um, to the world. That's our purpose for this series. And, and again, the hope is that we would produce much fruit and be faithful laborers of the harvest. Now, as you know, our mission is to, is to reach, is to reach, revolve, reflect. We're going to skip revolve and leave for next week, uh, because as you know, as we've mentioned, there's going to be a workshop on how to study the Bible. We're going to look into some hermeneutics and some practical ways and some fruitful ways, hopefully, of how to study the Bible. Hopefully, you're excited about that and you you, you attend that next week. And we're going to tie that in with the sermon in, in, in terms of revolve, cultivating lives that revolve around. Um, the gospel in Christ. And so this week, having skipped Revolve, we're going to look at the topic of reflect, reflecting Christ's love to those around us. How do we produce more fruit when, when reflecting the love of Christ? What is the most effective way to reflect the love of Christ? Um, the hope for our sermon this morning is to answer these questions and provide practical steps to effectively reflect the love of Christ not just to the people in this church, in this building, but those in our communities outside these walls. And not just practical steps, mind you, but also proper perspective when it comes to reflecting Christ's love. Because reflecting Christ's love is hard. Sure, it's easy in the context of those maybe who are sitting beside you this morning, those that you're already friends with, those that you're your you're, you're family with, and and it's easy to reflect Christ's love to them, but it's, it's you know, the, the Bible calls us to also love our enemies. So how, does, how, do we, how do we 
show the love of God, reflect the love of God even to those that don't have anything in common with us, maybe have different interests, different goals in life? How do we show, how do we show the love of God even to our enemies, to even sinners, right? You know, there's a lot of talks these days about what's happening in the Middle East and in Israel and, and Gaza and you know, regardless of where you fall in, on your opinions in, in, on those things, as believers, we should be grieved about what's happening out there in the Middle East. Scripture calls us to love our neighbors just as we love ourselves and, and also to love our enemies. So, so how do we effectively then show our love, Christ's love, to those that we may not agree with, those that we may not even support or whose opinions and views are contrary to ours or conflict with us. And I think what helps in that endeavor, that difficulty, is a proper perspective. And what I love about our passage this morning in Romans chapter 12 is that, and we're going to be reviewing it in a moment, but it not only gives us practical ways to reflect Christ's love, you know, and we see that in our passage, verse 9, let love be genuine. And then there's also a list of things that you can do to be able to let love be genuine. But in addition to that, we also see a perspective shift that Paul gives in, in our passage. In fact, that's how it starts. Look at verse 2 with me. One of the most uh, famous verses in the scripture that we know or have probably memorized, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the setup for our entire passage, the context of what Paul is talking about in our passage here. Paul's desire for his readers is to not think like the world, but instead to have their minds be renewed. And so in that same vein, he's, when he's saying, let love be genuine, he's also saying, hey, don't let your love be like the world. Because we know how the world's love is, how the world defines love. It's temporary, it's super, superficial, it's transactional, right? I'll, I'll, I'll love you as long as you love me back, and I'll give this to you as long as you give me what I want. And it's always something in return. It's selfish. It's certainly, the, the, certainly there, in, 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 at least in the world, the, the trend is that you don't love those who have differences than you who don't have the same legs, or who, who, who have different uh, skin color than you, or different opinions, who don't agree with you. That's the world's kind of love. So this is why verse 2 is very important to the context of our passage, because again, our mission is to reflect the love of, Christ, of, the love of Christ, to reflect love. And, and sometimes we can confuse the love of Christ with the love of the world, and many churches do. What kind of love are we reflecting? And Paul's push here is, hey, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed. Be different in the world. So the obvious response, the obvious response and the kind of love that we ought to reflect is, of course, Christ's love, God's love. So with, with, with the need to show God's kind of love, there is also a need for us to reorient ourselves, to renew our minds, to shift our perspectives so that it's in line with God's kind of love and God's demonstration of love. Because the reality is, we are all too familiar with the world's kind of love. That comes naturally to us. But the godly kind of love does not. We need 
constant reminder of the kind of love that God shows us so that we can reflect that to the rest of the world. So with that said, let's unpack our passage and the kind of love that we are to reflect, right? Uh, First of all, what kind of love are we to reflect? Let's just get straight into it. A love that sacrifices. A love that sacrifices. Look at the premise of our passage, verse 1. We want to see sort of where Paul is bringing his argumentation to. Let love be genuine, but let's see how it starts. Look at this. Verse 1. Review this with me. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The premise for this entire passage is that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That is, as Paul says, our spiritual act of worship. Now, some context here, right? The book of Romans is the systematic theology of the Bible. If you want to learn about great the doctrines of faith, it's, it's all here. It's all here in the book of Romans. And so throughout this the entire book, Paul is elaborating to the church of Rome the doctrines of grace. You can find all those famous passages in in Romans, right? None is righteous, no, not one, right? Uh, Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, right? Right? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All these great truths and these doctrines of grace is found in the book of Romans. Paul's explaining that to the Roman church. Then in chapter 11, Paul talks about how God in his sovereignty and his grace grafted Gentile believers into, the, to, into to Israel's line. It, it, it's, and, and, and so in that, in that know, knowing that act and knowing that act of grace from God, also the doctrines of grace that Paul has elaborated on, he, when we get to chapter 12, he's saying this is your response. This ought to be your response knowing everything I just mentioned Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Now, the idea of sacrifice, of course, is a callback to the Old Testament sacrifices, where in the Mosaic Law, the people of God were required to bring animal sacrifices for a temporary atonement for their sins, to appease God's wrath for the year. But it was also an act of worship. But after Christ's ultimate and perfect sacrifice, Animal sacrifices are no longer necessary. They're no longer needed for atonement because, again, Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for all of that. Yet, despite that, the need to worship God remains. The need to to worship God through sacrifice still remains. And so Paul is saying, right, the blood of of lambs and goats are no longer necessary for atonement, but you still need to worship God. And the way that you worship God is by offering yourself as a living sacrifice, presenting your bodies, yourself physically, as a living sacrifice to God. That is your spiritual worship. And the idea of presenting your bodies here is because though we are justified positionally, though we are, we are regenerated spiritually, we are redeemed eternally, our earthly bodies are still fallen. Our earthly bodies, including our minds, are still prone to temptation and to sin. So the call here is to live in a way that our lives are holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, despite still being in our flesh, right? Despite still being, in, in, still being prone to temptation and sin. So now, that's the call of Paul, right? Here's the doctrines of grace, here's the response, present yourself as a living sacrifice. The question that we ought to ask now is, okay, how do we do that? How does, 
How does a living sacrifice look like? Well, Paul continues in verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Paul's, Paul's call here, in a practical way, say he's first, first he's saying, don't be conformed to the world, right? That word conformed in the original Greek is, means to, to be molded into. Here's a set mold. Don't, don't be conformed. Don't take the shape of the world. But instead, be transformed. The word there in the original Greek is metamorpho. Where do we get metamorphosis? The idea of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And it's this beautiful imagery of us having to be changed, having to be transformed in order to not be conformed to the world. And how that transformation works is through the renewal of our mind, through different thinking, through different perspective, a perspective shift as we've been talking about. And which, after our minds have been transformed, been renewed, that translates over to practical living into a different and holy life. So Paul's line of reasoning here, let's, let's just follow along a bit here, right? I, I love how Paul writes his letters because they're very logical, they're very reasonable, they, there's always a structure to that you can sort of follow along. So Paul's line of reasoning, here's the doctrines of grace. Our response to the doctrines of grace is that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice for worship, how do we do that? Well, first we need to renew our minds. So if we're following this line of reasoning, the next question ought to be, well, how does one renew one's mind? Right? How do we think differently? How do, how do, we, how do we you know, have a perspective shift? Paul addresses this. He says in verse 3, look at this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So continuing with this whole idea of renewing one's mind, Paul is calling us to not think more highly of ourselves, which as we know is, is a prideful thing, and to think rather with sober judgment. So after, the, after, and then after this, this verse, you know, Paul gets into the body of Christ and utilizing spiritual gifts to serve, so following, Paul, following Paul's reasoning here, there's the doctrines of grace. Our response to it is to be living sacrifices. How do we do that? We need to renew our minds. How do we do that? We must not think more highly than ourselves or, or, or highly than we ought to think. Instead, as he goes on, to utilize our gifts to serve others. See, the conclusion that Paul's getting to here, in terms of a practical way of, of being a living sacrifice, is first we need to think differently by demonstrating humility in service of others. Paul's saying, if you want to think differently, if you want to not, be, not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, don't think like the world. Don't think selfishly like the world. Don't elevate yourself like the world. Don't be prideful like the world, but in humility, and as we continue, we'll see the rest of our passage, serve others. Serve others. There's a parallel passage to this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 7. It says, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's, again, the thinking more highly than, you're, than you ought to, right? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The act of humility directly is, is directly connected to sacrifice and, and a demonstration of love. The point that, that Paul is trying to get here and what we're trying to get at here is that love requires sacrifice and sacrifice requires humility. It's the idea of relinquishing yourself, laying your own pride down, laying your own position, your status, your resources, your, your own comfortability, your own safety aside just to demonstrate love to another person. Because, again, what gets in the way is what we've said, is pride. Pride is fueled by our, our preferences, Pride is fueled by our, our needs and putting our wants in priority. Pride is fueled by our high opinion of ourselves and our low opinion of others. This is where humility and this perspective change in order to renew our minds is so needed. Because you cannot, you cannot love from a place of pride because, because it turns love into lust. It makes it selfish. It's, as we've mentioned, how the world loves. You're just loving to get something in return, something that you think you deserve, right? I'm going to love you so that you can give me what I believe I deserve. See, just like Christ, as we just read from that Philippians passage, who is our ultimate example of love, the kind of love that we ought to reflect, we must love sacrificially because in his... In, it, in that act of humility, to lay oneself down, to, to die to self, it removes all notion of pride and it allows us to actually communicate love to, the other, uh, to other people. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love requires sacrifice. Again, that's, that's, that's the call of Paul in our passage when he's telling us to, be, to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. It's denying ourselves so that we can demonstrate, communicate love to other people. So some, maybe some practical uh, application here. How do we become more sacrificial in love? Well, first and foremost, make time for others. Make time for others. Sacrifice your time to meet with people, to, to bless people, to, to connect with people. You know, the thing that people are most short of in, in this life, in addition to maybe finances or whatever it is, it's time. If you talk to anybody, it's like, oh, I don't have enough time. Everyone's short on time. But oftentimes when they're saying that, if, is, is they don't have enough time for themselves, what they want to do. Spend some quality time with your brothers and sisters. Spend some quality time. Sacrifice your time that you could be spending elsewhere for those around you just to show love. In addition to that, share what you have. Share what you have. You know, pride often comes in, in relation to our resources. We think, I worked hard for this. This is what I earned. This is mine. I deserve this. 
And that often keeps us from sharing what we have. Whether it's, again, finances, whether it's, it's resources, food, connections, whatever it is. Share what you have. Sacrifice what you have just to love others. For those who are in relationships, here's a good one, right? Write this down. Be the first to apologize or forgive. Be the first to apologize. Why are people laughing at that? Right? Oftentimes when we are resistant to, to, to forgiveness, to apologizing to people, it's often because of pride. Right? I'm right. I was the one who was hurt. That, that individual is wrong. Be the first to apologize. Be the first to forgive. Sacrifice your pride on the altar of forgiveness, of love. In addition to that, you can extend mercy and grace in the sense that, you know, sometimes we can be so quick in calling out sin. The people of the word and the people of truth, and yes, we, we ought to stand for truth and stand against sin, but sometimes we can be so quick to calling out sin and be slow to showing mercy and grace. Show mercy and grace first. Then deal with the truth. Then deal with the sin. Lastly, set aside your own uncomfortability to make someone else feel comfortable. Especially if you're an introvert, right? Who's, who, who are the introverts here? They won't raise their hands. That's what it is. But if you're especially an introvert, I, I get it. It's uncomfortable to go and greet people, and it's, it takes you out of your comfort zone, but... Sometimes that needs to be sacrificed too, just to make someone else feel comfortable, just to be hospitable as we are called to do as believers. There's, I'm sure there's many more things that we can list here, but all these things require sacrifice. It requires a cost from us, a cost where, where oftentimes we need to die to self just to be able to communicate love. That's the kind of love that we are to reflect if we want to see fruit in our, in, our, in, in our church, in our lives, in our spiritual growth, love that sacrifices. What else do we see here? What else kind of love, um, what kind of love are we to reflect from our passage here? Love that serves. Love that serves. Look at uh, verse 4 with me. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago, and, and this is very much echoing what Paul has said there. Look at, uh, and, and again, that's the parallel of this passage, but instead of the focus being on spiritual gifts, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's focus here is, again, how to, be, how, how to practically live out being a, a living sacrifice for God. And Paul says, so again, Paul says, be a living sacrifice. How do you do that? Uh, renew your minds. How do you renew your minds? Think with humility. And how do you do that? Remember you are part of the body of Christ. You are, you, your, your sacrificial life is not just about you. You're connected to the body of Christ and therefore serve the body of Christ. That helps cultivate humility. Like you're not, you know, you're not at the top. You're maybe a hand, maybe a foot. The head of the body of Christ is Christ himself. That cultivates humility, I believe, in our minds. Look at verse uh, 6 of our passage now. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So again, Paul gives us a whole list of, of, of spiritual gifts here that we can utilize to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ to reflect God's love, prophecy, service, uh, in ministry, teaching, exhortation, generosity, acts of mercy. Paul lists these spiritual gifts with the intended purpose for, for these gifts to be used to serve the body, to serve one another. Because again, service is a demonstration of love. Love requires service. A parallel passage to this is in 1 Peter chapter 4 as well. In addition to 1 Corinthians, um, Paul, uh, rather Peter says in 1, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another, one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And he goes on to list how we do that. How do we show love to one another? Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves with, by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The kind of love that we are to reflect, the kind of love that is the kind of love that serves people, that serves our brothers and sisters, the church. In, in our effort to be imitators of Christ and reflecting his love, this was the kind of love that, that this, this is the kind of love that Jesus himself showed to the disciples. If you recall the story in, in the Gospel of John towards the end and at the Last Supper, where, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. That whole scene starts, in, uh, starts with the premise that it says that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And as a result of that love, Jesus demonstrates that love through washing his disciples' feet, an act of service. Jesus demonstrated a love that serves, and we should as well. That's the kind of love we are to reflect. So how does this look like practically speaking? Well, serve, right? Serve. Utilize the gifts that, that, that you have been given, that you've been graced with by the Holy Spirit to serve your brother, to edify your sister, to build up the church. Just a couple of weeks ago, we did spiritual gifts inventory, and and listen, it, that 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 thing that we did, that test that we did, it was not just to confirm your gift or to 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 give you an ego boost, right? Or to say, oh, look at me, I'm I'm gifted with with faith and I'm gifted with service. No, it it's meant to push you to actually utilize those gifts. To let you know that, hey, you're gifted in this way, so use those gifts. And even in the gifts that maybe you weren't as strong in, those were opportunities. Those are opportunities for the Holy Spirit to grow you in according to his will, you know, if, in, in his purposes. They are meant to be used, meant to indicate to you where you ought to be serving, where you ought, where you ought to be using those gifts. Where the Holy Spirit has entrusted you with a gift to to edify your brothers and sisters with, to serve and show love to. You know, I've been thinking about sort of the reasons why people are hesitant to, to, to serve, right? 
and, and why, why people are, are reluctant to serve in the church. And, you know, maybe the, sometimes it's people, people don't know where, where to serve. Well, well again, we, we say, hey, you know, here are the opportunities. You can serve in these capacities. And sometimes we think, well, maybe it's because people don't, don't know their spiritual gifts. But the reality is, right, we just did a test. We can help you figure out what your spiritual gifts and place you in, in the right ministry. And then, of course, there's always the, the excuse of, I have no time, I have no talent, I have no treasures to, to serve with. But again, the Holy Spirit provides every believer with a gift, with a way to serve, right? There's no one that's missing out on this. And, it's, and, and, and even if it's a little bit, the, the call is to be faithful with the little. And, the, and God will grow you in the little. And so, so what other excuses can there be? I, I think what, what came to me as I was, I, was, I was sort of thinking about this is that the reason some people don't want to serve in the church is because people don't want to be told how and where and when to serve. I think there's a resistance there. You know, when I was young, right, uh, and, and my parents are here, they can attest to this, I didn't mind doing chores. I was a faithful boy, right? Yes? Yes, mother, father? My, my dad's scratching his head like, who's this, who's this guy? But really, I, I didn't mind to do chores, but it was more so... It was more so, I, I wanted to do it on my own time, right? You know, that's what I wanted, like, you know, can you wash dishes? Like, okay, I'll do it later, right? Of course, they wanted to do it now, but. And, and so there's an idea, I, I think that same sentiment translates over to serving in the church. There's a level for, there's, for some reason, there's a level of, of, of resistance because there's, there's, uh, uh, there's an inclination towards, you know, autonomy and, and wanting to do things on our own. There's the idea of it, when you serve in the church, there's a level of submission to authority, to leaders, to the instructions, to the needs of the church that you have to submit to as you're serving. And I think people have authority issue. I want it to come naturally, Right? I don't want to be forced to do something. I want it to come naturally when it comes to serving the Lord or the church or giving to God. Well, if you believe in total depravity, that doesn't come naturally. Loving people, serving the church doesn't come naturally. So it's okay to have ministries in place, deacons in place, leaders in place to find a place for us to serve, to encourage us in our service, to, to keep us accountable in our service. You know, submission to leadership goes back to the, our first point, the, the, the idea of love requiring sacrifice. Listen, your leaders need loving too, right? Show them love by submitting to their authority and serving under them. And if that's not enough, right, what are we to do? We need a proper perspective. We are to serve as though we are serving God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
Serve with Christ in mind. Serve as if you are serving the Lord directly in whatever capacity. Listen, if you are not serving in the house of the Lord currently, if you're not involved in any ministry right now, what does that say about your service to Christ? Again, our service ultimately is towards the Lord. Whether you are playing instruments up here on the stage, you're stacking chairs here, or you're greeting people, you're serving Christ. And if we want to be, and if we want to reflect a fruitful kind of love, we must serve. We must serve. So now having explained what living sacrifices entails and connecting that with a renewed mindset and serving the body of Christ and humility, Paul's main emphasis comes about now. And look at verse 9 of our passage here. He says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. That is the point for this whole sacrificial living of serving because all of that demonstrates a love that is genuine, a love that is sincere. That's the kind of love we are to reflect, lastly here. Love that is sincere. Love that is sincere. See, for love to be sincere, it requires a sacrificial mindset in place. It's a call to be holy and acceptable to God, as, as Paul has mentioned in the first verse of our passage. It is the renewal of one's mind so that it's different from the world. It also requires an act, a recipient of that love other than ourselves, and that's where serving comes in. Love is an action, right, as we have probably heard before. That's why we need to serve the local body. So without these things of, of sacrifice or service, love cannot be sincere. It's a, it ends up being like the world's kind of love, which falls short, which is superficial, which is which is transactional and resembles more of lust than, than truly love, it is a fruitless kind of love that the world gives. So what kind of fruit do we see in sincere, genuine love? What kind of fruit do we see in, in the sincere kind of love? Paul describes it. He says, continuing in our passage, verse 9, love, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The call to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good here, hold fast to what is good, is still connected to the idea of genuine love. Or as Paul says in that great 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love chapter of the Bible, it do, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Meaning, meaning it's, it, it's, it's not loving when we tolerate or accept sin. That's enabling. It's not loving when, when that love of yours causes an, another individual to sin. We have to understand, sin is not a fruit of loving others, it's a fruit of loving yourself. A fruit of sincere and genuine love is a rejection of what is evil, what is sinful. It holds fast to what is good, what is holy and acceptable to God, just as Paul says at the beginning of our passage. Because, because, again, when you love an individual, you don't seek their harm. You don't seek their punishment, especially from a holy God. So you would not want evil or sin to, be, to, to taint that love. But, of course, Paul does not stop there. He says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. 
when members of a church treat the, the, those in that body of Christ as brothers and sisters, as a family, that's a fruit of sincere love. And listen, it's not just, right, it's not just a family by, by title, like, hey, brother, hey, sister. Not just by title, but also in action, in affection. And what that means is, hey, you know, you don't look at your brother in Christ as dead weight, Useless. You encourage the brother who is struggling. You don't look at your sister in Christ with, with hate and disgust just because they differ from you. They have different interests than you. What that means is that we are walking with each other through life, through the ups and downs of, of the seasons that we are in. It means that we share each other's burdens. We suffer together. We rejoice together. We mourn together. We celebrate together. Regardless of age, regardless of skin color, regardless of differences, likes and dislikes, Paul says in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Purity, what he means here is that it means that you're guarding these relationships from sin. Again, just as Paul had mentioned, right? Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Keeping those relationships holy and set apart, distinct from the rest of the world. What that could mean is that, you know, you, you keep watch what you talk about with your brother. It means that you don't cause your sister to stumble. It means that when you're interacting with the opposite gender, that you are keeping boundaries in place. What that might mean for those who are single out here, you know, you don't go to church viewing every guy or every girl as a potential spouse for the future, right? This is not Singles Inferno, guys. Family first. Family first. And trust me, guys, I know how that feels, being placed in the brother zone. Oof. Hurts. I told this story before when I was courting Faye back in the day, and you know, one day she she said, You know, I see you as a brother of Christ. <laughs> and I said, Get behind me, Satan. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. <laughs> but it hurts, it hurts, right? Like, ah. Uh. Listen, family first. It's a great thing to be a brother in Christ. And sisters, by the way, man, it goes both ways. Sisters, like, oh, why is brother so-and-so being so nice to me? I think, ah, uh, he like, like, listen, what if brother so-and-so is just being a good Christian brother and you're like, ugh, he likes me. Cooties. I don't know what you girls talk about. But again, family first. There's no other religion in the world. There's no other community. There's no other social group that in, in the world that man can offer that has a deeper connection between people than the family of God. It has a deeper connection even, even more than blood relatives. Because this family of believers that is in your midst, your brother and sister is sitting to your left and to your right, we are going to be with them for all of eternity, united in Christ. It's okay to see them as your family first. It's okay to, and so with, with the same honor and the same respect and decorum, 
that you would that you would treat your blood relative, maybe even sometimes even better than how you would treat your blood relative. Treat those of the household of God with sincere love. And of course, Paul continues, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. This is the only time, at least that I know of, that that Paul calls or Scripture calls believers to compete with one another. It reflects this idea of being part of the family of God and, and a sort of this sibling rivalry, but where this rivalry comes in is outdoing each other in showing honor, in respecting each other, in edifying one another, building each other up. And of course, he goes on, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospita- hospitality. All of this still in the context of demonstrating sincere, genuine love to the household of God. Zeal is connection to leadership. Serving the Lord is, you do that by serving the local church. Rejoice in hope together. Suffer in patience together through tribulation. Pray constantly for one another. You know, I, I find it a privilege. I, pro, I find it a privilege to pray for individuals every night and to have the same names on, on my lips every night as I go, approach the throne of God. Because it is a joy and a privilege to pray for people. All of these things that Paul lists out is a demonstration of sincerity. It's doing what we're normally called to do, but taking the extra step, going the extra mile. It's, all, it, it, it's, it's going it's going all in into somebody's life in their spiritual walk, in their journey, just to show them love. That's how we are to demonstrate a sincere love, love that bears fruit. So we are to demonstrate, or the kind of love that we are to reflect is a love that sacrifices, a love that dies to self just to show and demonstrate love to another person, a love that serves, that utilizes the, the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has entrusted to us to serve one another in a love that is sincere, a love that, that is genuine, that, that protects and guards from sin, from evil, and clings to what is good. That's the kind of love that we are to reflect. If you're here in the, this morning and, and you have yet to experience the love of God or all of this stuff is new to you, first and foremost, we want to say that we love you God loves you. And God shows his love in this, that while, you were still, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is, that is the greatest demonstration of love that we can ever experience or know about or hear about in this lifetime. That God loving sinners, a holy God loving sinners, sent his son, sent himself to die on the cross so that we could have a right relationship with him. He says that the only, way, the, the, the only way for you to experience that love, truly have that love in your life, is to repent of sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have not done that, I would invite you to do so today. Experience the love of God today. For us who are found, for us who are in the family of God, you know, I, I think uh, something as a pastor that I'm... Uh, I'm always constantly fearful of, and when I'm trying to sort of test the, the spiritual health of our church, is this, uh, 
this passage in, in the book of Revelation, right? Uh, in the book of Revelation, the very beginning part, Jesus himself is, is, is distributing judgment and, and, and praise to various churches in Asia Minor of that day. And, and Revelation chapter 2 talks about the church of Ephesus. And I, it's always scary whenever, whenever I read this passage because I'm fearful that we could fall into this, this sort of characteristic of this church. It says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, it says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you can bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So here's this great praise from the Lord that this is a, this is a, a, a enduring church, a faithful church, one that calls out false teachers, one that is true to God's word. And I, and, I, and I thank God because I believe Plus Life is very much that. But then this next part scares me. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And the call that Jesus gives to this church is, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is the call. This is the, the judgment that Christ has on this church that is so faithful in calling out false teachers and, and that is faithful and faithfully enduring and standing on his word. Yet at the end of the day, they did not have love. And I... And I I don't think we're there yet. I think there's still love in our, in our midst, in our community. But we, we must not, we must not abandon that first love that we had. We must continue to reflect the love that we are called to reflect, the love of Jesus Christ. Let's not be like this, this, this church. And if we are, if we ourselves, maybe even individually have come to that, we must repent if we have become legalistic and have forgotten the love we had at first, we must repent. Let us be a church known for its genuine love for one another and for those around us. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, First and foremost, God, we thank you for the love that which you have lavished us with through Jesus Christ. We thank you, O oh Lord, that it is your love that preserves us, protects us, that proclaims a future for us, that forgives us of our sin. At the same time, Lord, we want to come humbly and, Lord, repent of areas in our lives individually, even areas in our church, Lord God, if there are any where we have forgotten our first love, or we've lost the love we had, we had at first. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would not just go through the routine of church, the habit of church and its ministries, and as a result, lose sincere, genuine love. 
or fail to sacrifice, to show love, or, or fail to serve, Lord. Help us be a loving church, oh God. And as we mentioned, not to just those who are sitting with us in this room or those around us right now, brothers and sisters in Christ, but even those outside these walls, with those who are different from us, and those who may not even value the same things as us, those who are unbelievers, help us show your kind of love, a love that draws us in, a love that covers a multitude of sin. I pray that you would help us show grace to one another. And if there are any offenses, oh God, in our midst, that Lord, you would, you would cover it in your love. That forgiveness would break out. That sincere, that sincere desire to, to serve one another die to self would break out in our church. Lord, at the end of the day, it is only your love that changes people. It's not policies, it's not governments, it's not programs, it's just the love of Christ. So I pray, oh God, that you would change the heart that does not know you, that you would regenerate that those who are lost will experience your love today. We thank you, O oh God, for your great love, for accepting us, for receiving us as your sons and daughters and inviting us to this great family of God. We give you the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.